Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or 500 people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squonk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. Dashing through the snow, and one horse up and sleigh. Or the fields we go, let me go the way. Something on Bobtails ring, making spirits bright. But we laugh and sing a sleighing song tonight. <gasps> a sleighing song, that's perfect! Except that, no, that would be perfect for next week, because next week is about crime this week is about cryptids it's christmas we either slaying or we slaying welcome in guys this is the beginning of holiday specials so this week we do have a holiday cracko tale and then next week we're gonna have a holiday true crime tale everything focused around the winter holidays so no matter what you celebrate i hope you have a nice warm beverage nice cozy blanket and some loved ones with you to listen about some horrible things yes because you know normally this time of year is associated with you know being happy and cozy and you know things like that but no no no. we're gonna turn this all the way around isn't that what we do yes we we, we make things just worse I mean, everybody got to be good at something, right? Correct. Yes. And apparently we're very good at turning good things into bad things. I don't know if that's something to be proud of. I didn't say we had to be proud. I just said said we're good at it. Fair enough. Anyway, moving on. We actually have several stories today. And somehow Ranger always gives me the ones with the, the most difficult names to pronounce and I have to go off on an adventure to figure out how to pronounce some of these names so I don't butcher them quite as bad as I normally would. I think he does it on purpose Kraken. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does it on purpose. I think he specifically picks parts of the world where he's like, which one, which one of these countries is going to have like the most obscure names that no one's going to know how to pronounce unless you live there? He should find one from that city in Wales that has the longest city name. Please no, don't, don't give him any ideas. Don't, don't encourage those. Hey, Ranger, you and I should talk. <laughs> All right, fellas, it's time for tea and crumpets. We have several stories packed into one. Ooh. We're going to be learning about several different, I, I don't I don't know what you want to call these. I don't think they're actually considered cryptids. Different beings across different cultures. There we go. I mean, Ranger did call them winter cryptids. So, I mean, we, we can go with that. Yeah, winter cryptids sounds good. Well, if, if you're good, there there's a story about a cat in here at the end. So I think I know this one a little bit, but... We'll get there when we get there. Well, these I've never heard of. I've only heard of a few of these. I saw, well, I don't know if it's the same one. It's probably the same one. But I saw after Ranger mentioned that he had finished the research, like the same day I saw a meme about the Yule Cat. So I'm guessing that's what it is. That, that would be yeah, the one. Yeah, and I was like, I, I hope this is in there. And then like a day or two later, he mentioned something about a Christmas cat. And I was like, oh, 
Oh, you <laughs> might not be like, yeah, it's Christmas cat, but he's not so friendly. Oh, anyway. I know that. I know that. But I was just like, yay, we're going to talk about a kitty cat. Yeah, exactly. Meow, meow, meow. All right. So the uh, the icy grip of winter has taken hold of the land here in the northern hemisphere. The days are short and the, the cold nights long. It's easy sitting in our heated and lit homes than there ever was a time that humans were at the mercy of such a cruel and impartial time of year. However, there was and still is a kind of cheerful resolution to these months, the darkest times of the year. We are all well acquainted with Santa or Father Christmas and his elves, reindeer and big rosy cheeks. But all around the world, though we'll be focusing on Europe for this episode, there are all different kinds of winter traditions and celebrations from Kwanzaa to Yule and I'm, uh, the one name I'm going to butcher here, Lori. It's, that sounds about right. It looks right. Sure. Which is a, it's a, it's a celebration in India of the sun changing course and marking the end of winter. Oh, I'd never heard of that. Here's another one. He just has to throw in these names here. He, he's just like, I got to give you the, the the traditional name instead of, you know, the simplified version. Because it's he's going to get to me. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. To Omisoka, the Japanese New Year and the Chinese New Year. I know that was wrong. I So when you say Chinese New Year, I remember when I was in like... Third or fourth grade, they were teaching us about Chinese New Year and they taught us how to say, I think it's Happy New Year, if I remember correctly. But I I still remember it because I I was walking around for weeks telling everybody it's a gung hei fat choy. And I would tell everybody, everybody. And then I was like, it's from it's from Chinese New Year. It's from Chinese New Year. Gung hei fat choy. And I was a little kid, so people were just like, okay, thanks. They're like, who's who's this child? It's like, can you go find your mom? Thanks. Go away. Growing up, when we would go to the grocery store, my mom would like give us certain items and we had to go out in the store and find them. Pretty much, I think she just wanted to get us out of her hair because like we drove my mom crazy. Understandable, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, she like, they would just let you run around the store. And like nowadays, it's like pretty much unheard of because like, oh my God, what if something happens? But like back then they were like, yeah. But that's cool though. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, gung hei fat choy. Understandable. I'm going to stick with Happy New Year because that's I, I can pronounce that. Can you? Please tell me I haven't been saying it wrong this whole time. <clears throat> you know what? I don't want to know. <sighs> I'm not, I'm not going to. Yeah. Yeah. You just you just keep going on, Greg. I will. But all of these celebrations are part of winter for people all over the world. But like I said previously, we are going to be sticking to European folklore for this episode. And we're going to talk about the weird and wonderful world of winter cryptids and the nice, the dark, all the way down to the bizarre. This is the Squonk and the Hag Christmas special. Yay! So the first one we'll be talking about is La Befana. And we're, so we're going to start out with a good one before we start going downhill. Yay! And this name doesn't sound familiar to me at all. It didn't to me either. And it's funny because as we read it, it's basically... The Italian version of Santa. It's quite quite literally Santa. <gasps> just in a different form. Santa, I know him. Did, did, did you eat uh, an ice cream sundae for breakfast? No, but there someone at work shared it with me. There is a website for the recipe of elf spaghetti. I mean, there's also a recipe for uh, a ramen sundae where you take the ramen noodles without the seasoning packet and you can basically add ice cream and whipped cream and stuff to it. It doesn't look that good, though. 
that is something that you you would like most likely only take one bite of and then not eat the rest of it. Yeah, because the pieces like I love the chocolate pop tarts. I love M&Ms. I love marshmallows. I love maple syrup. I love spaghetti. Let's not combine all of these things. Yeah, I really don't want those all together. Yeah, no. But this uh, this first one that we're talking about here, La Befana, the tradition springs from the sunny lands of Italy. La Befana, which means the witch in Italian, she is usually portrayed as a hag riding a broomstick through the air wearing a black shawl and is covered in soot because she enters the children's houses through the chimney and her dress is full of patches. She's often smiling and carries a bag or a hamper filled with candy, gifts, or both. A uh, popular belief is that her name derives from the Feast of Epiphany, which the ranger put the Italian name in here, and I, there's there's no way I can I can try to pronounce this, but um, <laughs> it's the Feast of Epiphany. Well, I'm gonna go with that one. In popular folklore, the Befana visits all children of Italy on the eve of the Feast of the Epiphany to fill their socks with candy and presents. And if they're good, they, they get that. But if Or if they're bad, they get a lump of coal or dark candy. Uh, in many poorer parts of Italy, and in particular rural Sicily, uh, they get a stick instead of coal. I was going to say, at least a stick is useful, but coal is useful. You can burn coal. Like if you're cold, you can put the coal in your, your yeah, fire and coal burns a little bit longer i feel than a stick so i mean yeah yeah that's what i was thinking like coal actually is probably more beneficial than a stick but a stick you know you've been bad when when you, when you get a stick instead of coal yeah but you can use a stick to poke things yeah that's probably a good point do we really want to give a kid who's been bad a stick probably not better yet do we want to give them a rock which is basically coal. Probably not. We need to rethink Christmas. Uh, okay, I know exactly what you should give naughty kids for Christmas. Go on. A hot pocket, because it is just diarrhea in the microwave. Not not just not just any hot pocket, like a freshly microwaved hot pocket. So like it feels cool on the outside, but it's just molten lava on the inside. Yeah, and then you get sick afterwards. Yeah, it's like that's that's what a naughty child deserves for Christmas because it's nothing that is going to harm them. No, it's just, but it's also not going to give them a weapon. It's just, I mean, I want to say you could turn a, a like the filling of of a hot pocket that's been like superheated in the microwave into a weapon if you try hard enough. I mean, fair. I've burnt myself many times on those. And what's really sad is, as much as I say that they're so bad because they make you sick, I kind of want one right now. Yeah, I just had flashbacks to the the, the cheese pizza hot pockets. Yeah, I always went for the pepperoni one. And then the pepperoni was kind of like eating um, tree bark. So you want molten hot lava and tree bark inside of a pastry crust that's cold and then it makes you sick. There you go. And this is our childhood. Yes. Right there. Case closed. Anyway, on from punishments besides sticks and coal. The Befana is actually a good housekeeper also. So Santa gives you presents, but the Befana actually will sweep the floor before she leaves. Well, she carries a broom with her, so of course. Exactly. To some, the sweeping meant the sweeping away of the problems of the year, and the child's family would typically leave small glasses of wine and with a plate with a few morsels of food on it, uh, often regional or local for the Befana. Uh, her home is in the small town of Urbania. Her, the story of how she came to be is that the three magi or the three wise men from the biblical accounts came to her house and asked her for directions to the house where the new Messiah is. She says that she doesn't know and has them stay in her house for the night because she has the best and cleanest house in the village. So the next day, the wise men ask her to join them in their journey, but she says she can't because she hasn't finished cleaning. 
After they leave, she has a change of heart and packs a bag of fruits and candies for the baby Jesus, but fails to find him or the Magi, and she's still searching for the baby to this day. Does, did anyone tell her that the baby grew up? I, I don't think so. I think she might have missed that one. Okay, that might be part of her problem. I think I think it might have been before they had newspapers, but you know, I don't think I don't think that was exactly on the nine o'clock news that night. But another account is that she was actually a princess waiting for her prince to return from the Crusades, but he never did. And so she's left childless. So she retreats into the forest where her pain transforms her into a witch. And Jesus takes pity and offers her the chance to be the mother of all children by disciplining them with the promise of treats and the threat of coal, which is always met with tears, according to people around Urbania. Scholars suggest that La Befana actually comes from the Roman goddess Strenia, and her offerings were called Astrina. But of course, this goddess and the, her festival that's associated with her, which was around the same time of the year, was uh, actually suppressed by the Catholic Church in antiquity. And so La Befana is, is what, we, what we have today. Yeah. Well, it's actually, I don't know if you've ever looked into when they kind of did that. So they had this huge meeting that, you know, the Catholic Church had all these people and all these different cultures and all these different belief systems. And they kind of met to unite under one religion of Christianity, which is when they brought in the pagan beliefs and they brought in you know, all of the different things because they wanted to make it easier to convert people to the Christian religion over whatever they were practicing, which, you know, a lot of it was pagan ritual and that kind of stuff. And it's it's really interesting to see what in our now common day knowledge and beliefs like when you go back and you kind of break it into the, all the different belief systems it's kind of kind of cool like christmas originally was like what we when we celebrate was a pagan holiday but what we celebrate is a christian holiday and they kind of combined the two if that makes sense yeah yeah i haven't really looked into a, a lot of like what was suppressed and all of that, but I knew that a lot of stuff kind of got, I guess, swept under the rug. Uh, historians ha uh, and you know all that stuff that like Jesus was born in the summertime, but we celebrate his birth at the end of December because it coincided with a pagan holiday on December twenty fifth. I've always wondered if it was actually a, a different the, the the actual day of his birth was different than like Christmas because I was like I know you know over time the calendar has changed so I was just like yeah that too yeah and it's just like it's like nowadays it's it was so long ago it was so so long ago that there's it's difficult to pinpoint yeah and it's also kind of like hard to wrap your brain around like what they were going through like culturally socially yeah i guess even economically at the time but to think like uh, this is going to come out very wrong but i don't know how to say it but like if i was jesus and somebody was just like all right you were born on september 5th how about we change your birthday? I get you were born on this day, but we're going to just instead celebrate on this day. Yeah, it's it's just like it's weird in retrospect. Yeah. yeah, it's just a little little weird. It is a very interesting thing if you ever look into it. Yeah, I haven't done a whole lot of digging into that, but yeah, I know, I know it wasn't it, like you said, it's difficult to pinpoint with the way things were. And it's been so long ago. That was over 2000 years ago. Correct. And I don't think they had computers back then. I could be wrong. I don't think so. I, I don't think there's actually. I, I don't. I don't think they logged all of this in, in their local library. Yeah. 
the database got lost. Yeah, it's fine. There, there was a system error. IT couldn't fix it. They just throw the whole computer out. Now I just imagine you getting a blue screen and throwing the entire computer away, including like the monitors and keyboard. Oh, no, no, no. When I get a blue screen, it, it's called blue screen for a reason. So I just throw the monitor out and get a new monitor. <laughs> I just I just drink. You should know better. Fair enough. Is it still hot? It's drinkable, but it's still very, very warm. Yes. And then that happened. Damn you, Cracko. I'm not sorry. You never are. Correct. So back to uh, back to our story of the Italian witch who sweeps your home and possibly leaves you coal. Urbania itself is the self-proclaimed home of Le, uh, La Befana. I almost messed that up. I don't know how I messed that up. Anyway, and every year uh, they have a festival. So every year, about 30 to 50,000 people show up to this small medieval village to see La Befana. There are about 100 of them in the town, some hanging around the church steeples, riding on their broom and throwing candles and treats to the to the children on the ground. Some go from storefront to storefront and others just kind of like hang around in the crowds. Each Bifana is dressed like the legend, say, with soot, a dress, a shawl, and carrying a bag. So they, apparently they have like a big festival. When you say a medieval village, all I can think of is last episode with Go Fundeth Me. It's just a village lost in time and suddenly these people show up with smartphones and they're just like witchcraft. <laughs> We don't know who these these space people are that show up with these weird devices, but it's it's become just a regular thing. They give us money, so it's all right. Their their money is this weird form of paper. I don't quite understand it, but they told us it's good. So, but this festival kind of sounds like fun. Just everyone just kind of like dresses up as the witch and throws around candy and stuff. Yeah, I wish people would throw candy at me. I mean, I can. Yeah, but you would get like a jawbreaker and beam it at my head. I was literally about to say, go, I'm just going to run to the store and grab a big jar of jawbreakers. And you wouldn't empty it, we'd just throw the jar at me? The entire jar, yes. Through the window. Come on, windows are expensive. Fair enough. I also have to be careful throwing it through the window. The cats like to hang out there. This is true. This is true. And also then they could get out. Yes. Although I learned my lesson about how expensive windows are uh, when I was younger. I locked myself out of the house. My parents weren't home. Mm -hmm. So I grabbed a rock and I broke the window in the back door to get into the house. So I actually bro broke into my own house. And um, fair enough. I didn't get in trouble often as a kid. I was a little bit of a goody goody. Um, <clears throat> I got in a lot of trouble. Now, this was before cell phones, too. So I couldn't just call my parents. Correct. Yes. So the only appropriate response is to just grab a rock and start breaking windows. It was only one. Sure. It was. It was the, the window in the back door. And then I went inside and I probably ate a Hot Pocket. Like, this is fine. We'll do with the broken window later. It's fine. Well, I hope you're ready because that was the only good one that we had here. The rest of them, it just all goes downhill from here. That was the top of the roller coaster. You may be familiar with the next one we're going to talk about. Maybe you've you've heard the name around. We're going to be talking about Krampus. I have heard about Krampus. Is, uh, you know, you, you can't talk about winter holiday cryptids without mentioning Krampus. This is true. He's he's like the the Santa Claus of winter holiday cryptids. He's the anti Santa. Yeah, but like he's the one everybody knows his name. Yes. Like, even if you don't celebrate it, if you don't know the story, you've heard the name Krampus. I want to go to Germany and celebrate it because I looked up like one of the festivals that they talk about on here and I want to participate. They're crazy. They are crazy. Like, uh, did you look at the ones with like the costumes and stuff? I did. I looked at like one of the uh, the original groups that do this. I want to participate. Yeah. 
Oh my god, they're like it's one of those things that it's oddly beautiful. I'll I'll, I'll explain more as I get to that part, but like I I want to I want to participate. But in Austria and across the German-speaking Alpine region, this demonic character is a crucial part of the holiday season. He's a devilish figure with long horns and a goatee beard, much like typical portrayals of Satan looks. It's just goat man, basically, with a human face. Uh, You might see him posed harmlessly on a greeting card or reproduced in chocolates or figurines, but you might also encounter a procession of Krampuses stalking through the town, laden with bells and chains and intimidating onlookers or even whipping them with bundles of sticks. Wait, are you allowed to just randomly whip people? I mean, if you're attending, you, you, you assume all risk, I'm guessing. But what if you didn't know? Like, what if I went to a town and I had no idea and I'm just walking down the street? You gonna learn today. Oh, that's scary. Remind me not to go to Austria in the winter. What happens? You just show up in town. You just show up in town. You're like, oh, cool. The festival. I'm going to go get on the front and see what's going on. And then suddenly you see a bunch of people dressed as demons smacking people with bundles of sticks and there's just fire everywhere. I mean, that sounds like a good time. This is why I want to participate. There's fire. You get to dress up and you get to smack people with sticks. It's perfect. But I always thought the whole Krampus thing was like right around the same time as, you know, typical Christmas. But actually, December 5th belongs to Krampus. I I didn't realize it was that early. I mean, it's still in December, though, so it's not like you're like, yeah. Krampus's day is April 29th. He shows up way ahead of schedule. Apparently, Krampus is like the gauntlet you have to get through before you get to Santa. Like, really? He's the mini boss when you get to the boss. <laughs> Wait, Santa's the main I boss? I mean, it's all fun and games when you're waiting for Santa to show up instead of getting in bed and going to sleep until the, the boss health bar appears. Now I'm just thinking of the Santa from Futurama. You better watch out. It just constantly, it doesn't change. You better watch out. You better watch out. <laughs> and then they like roll that giant door over the fireplace. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm remembering this correctly. I could be wrong because I often am. But I want to say they did a whole like Christmas special that went like straight to DVD or something like that, where they featured all of the, the holiday bots. Possibly. I know most years we watch the Futurama Christmas specials on Christmas Eve if we have time. We have our our tradition. Uh, We always watch Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, and then we watch Die Hard. And if we are still conscious, we will then watch the Futurama Christmas specials. It all depends because there have been a few years where Chris's parents would get us a bottle of rock and rye, which, if you have not had it, is a very sweet, thick liqueur. It's tasty. However, <laughs> I did not last the night. Let's just put it that way. Yes, I've, I've heard of that and I've been told it's very strong. Yeah, but it's one of those ones that it's really, really strong, but you can't tell because it's just yummy. You're just like, oh, this is nice. This is fun. Next thing you know, you're in the closet shadow box in the coats. Pretty much. So December 5th belongs to Krampus. If you survive, you might get presents. In the real world, people might attend Krampus balls or young men from the local Krampus group might put on wooden carved masks, cowbells, chains, and elaborate costumes to run through town in a Krampuslauf or Krampus run. Frightening and sometimes beating bystanders. It sounds like a wonderful time. So, yes. So we've upgrade we've upgraded from whipping them with sticks to beating them. I mean, beating them with 
said sticks, they'll, it's just like a bundle of reeds that they'll smack them with. When I think beating someone... You think fists. I, fists are heavy objects, like blunt force trauma. These people just use this as an excuse to hide their identity and throw literal trash cans at people. It's just a, it's just a riot. You did say there was fire everywhere. I did actually look at this website a little bit, and um, the, the, the translation was a little rough, but... Um, Apparently they have very strict safety rules and stuff like that because it's everything short of a riot. There's just fire everywhere, people dressed up in costumes and smacking people with sticks. So they know how to have a good time, so fair enough. But according to legend, Krampus will spend the night visiting each house and he might leave bundles of sticks for bad children or he might just hit them with the sticks instead. Or even worse, he might toss them into a sack or a basket on his back and either throw them into the stream or just straight up drag them to hell. I mean, you're lucky if all you get is like smacked with sticks. But the next day after Krampus makes his rounds is Nikolastag or St. Nicholas Day, the same St. Nicholas whose Dutch name, Sinterklaas, evolved into Santa Claus. In other words, it's time for presents for all the little girls and boys, that is, all the ones who haven't been beaten, damned, or drowned. If you survive, you get presents. Congratulations. Yay! Such a happy tale to tell your children to get them to behave. Eat your broccoli or I'm getting on the phone with with the police dog from Paw Patrol and I'm calling Krampus. How is it that you don't know his name at this point? I mean, you 100 presented that game. It's Chase. I, I do know the name. There's there's also Marshall, the, the fire dog. There's there's also Sky, the one that rides in the helicopter. So one important question when you when you call it up Chase. The police dog. Are you using your Peppa Pig PBO6 flip and learn phone? Of course. How else would I call him? I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. And there it is. My face hurts. Operation Break Mo is complete. Just going to continue on with the Krampus story and let you process that one. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Anyway, originally, Krampus was pure, a purely pagan creation. He's said to be the son of hell from Norse mythology, but he got grafted onto Christian tradition as a sidekick of St. Nicholas. I, I don't know when this became like a Batman and Robin kind of thing. I don't I don't think that's how this works, but now I want to see a comic book version of St. Nick and Krampus fighting crime. I need this to be a thing immediately. I'm going to contact several artists. <laughs> How many, how many people can I get to block? How many artists can I get to block me on Twitter? You should contact Meg. <laughs> they would do it. Meg would be like, yes, uh, sign me up. I'll do it for free. Anyway, since the 17th century, these two have been linked in sort of a Christmassy yin-yang with Krampus as St. Nick's dark companion. Costume figures of the two traditionally visit houses and businesses together on Krampusnacht. So if you want to, you know, participate in the whole Krampus thing, you could pick up your plastic horns or whatever from Target or Spirit Halloween. If if they're somehow st- still open, but I, I I don't think they stay open for Christmas. But Well, I mean, if you plan far enough in advance, you if you go before Halloween, you could get your horns. This is true. But uh, traditionally, for uh, the professionals that do this, their masks that uh, that they wear are made out of wood and they're hand-carved by special artisans, uh, one of which his name is uh, Ludwig Schneg, who makes the mask for all 80 members of the Haymig Krampus group. And he's been making them since 1981. 
Oh, wow. I'm assuming that they don't get a new mask every year, right? I think they do. Because like... Oh my God, he has to make 80 every year. Yeah, because there's like... If you go... If you look up the Hamig Krampus group, like I said, they've been doing it for years and like a lot of their masks and costumes, once they get old and worn, they'll go to museums and stuff like that. But they're basically a ceremonial mask. It's like a very sacred thing to them. It's not just a mask to them. Right. I just would have thought that they would have worn them more than once. I mean, it it doesn't say here, but like they, they may wear them a couple times in a row until they start getting beat up because they are just hand carved out of wood. But the the antique ones in the and they are beating people with sticks. Yes, this is true. But the uh, the, the older ones, the, the antique mask often end up in like museums, uh, like folklore museums, or especially ones that have like a whole Krampus exhibit. I didn't know there was a Krampus exhibit in any museums, but now I feel like I need to look this up. I, I'm i not surprised. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not either. I, I didn't know of any off the top of my head, but... I should have assumed there was something like that, but I just never thought to look it up if there were any around here. Around here, I don't know, but I would say in Europe, it's probably very common. But the towns of Kitzbühel and Stahlhofen in Austria both have Krampus museums that collect old costumes and masks. So like, there's actually whole museums for Krampus. Um, road trip. Yes. Oh, so this is the one road trip you're going to go on. Fair enough. I see how it is. It's costume. Because it's not something that's haunted. It's not haunted and it's costumes. Mo shows up and is like, where's Krakow? And then suddenly someone, little does she know it's it's Krakow, is dressed up as Krampus and comes running out of the back with a bundle of reeds. You act like I wouldn't show up also dressed as Krampus. And then we'll just be recreating that Spider-Man meme of them pointing at each other. No, it's just going to be like those videos of the little kids fighting and hitting each other with toy swords. Yes, and then the museum director will throw us out for ruining priceless costumes. Hey, I'm making my own. Yes, I'm totally doing the same and not asking to borrow one from the exhibit. You can't see it, but I am shaking my head right now. I assumed you were. Kind of like a, a spidey sense at this point. Like, I know when I've said something that just causes you to shake your head. Germany and Austria isn't the only places where you can find Krampus parades and parties. There's even some here in America as well. Apparently, Las Vegas has a really big Krampus walk or parade, so they keep the spooky season going all the way through Christmas. The next one we're talking about is the one that I mentioned. I could see parents actually doing this, and that's how it kind of got started. This one was actually featured in uh, an episode of The Office at one point, so the name may be familiar if you've seen The Office. Uh, the Belsnickel. But the Belsnickel is uh, also a Germanic counterpart of St. Nick. While Krampus is a companion of St. Nick, it seems that the Belsnickel is separate from him by all accounts. <laughs> the Belsnickel is a dirty, cranky old man covered in furs. Sounds like it's just a homeless person, but I mean... I mean, maybe it is. You don't know. It, it could be. Sometimes he has a mask with a long tongue as well, so that adds a little bit more creepiness on top of that. I don't know why, but in my head I'm just picturing one of the guys from Kiss. It's it's, it's just a homeless guy who found a Gene Simmons mask. Yeah, but he's, uh, he's typically very ragged and disheveled. He wears torn, tattered, and dirty clothes, and he carries a switch in his hands with which to beat naughty children. And... Of course, he's got to have something for the good children, too. So his pockets are full of cakes, candies and nuts. I, I just love how stories from long ago were just like, yeah, if, if you're bad, this uh, imaginary character is going to come and beat the crap out of you. I mean, I'm sure it worked. 
it gets it gets even better. It's not just that he shows up and beats you. He has a process. He doesn't have a list and he doesn't check it twice. No, 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 no. He interrogates the children, basically. Oh, my God. He's never seen with Santa, but he seems to make his visits separate from Father Christmas. The Bellsnickel made the journey to America as well with the Pennsylvania Dutch who came from southern Germany. The first hint of his approach is the tapping on the outside of the windows by the switches that it's carried by the Bellsnickel as he slips through the darkness just outside the house. Then suddenly the door bursts open and he rushes into the house, instantly menacing the children with his gravelly voice, jerky movements, and probing questions. He asks the children questions on their relative naughtiness or niceness. Have they been nice toward their brothers and sisters? Have they done their chores without complaint? Have they been respectful to their elders? Have they cleaned their rooms? What was something nice that they did? The children who can attest to their niceness are worried uh, with the threat of a swat or two with the bundle of birch switches that the Bellsnickel carries around in one hand. But on the other hand, those who feel confident in recounting their good deeds could expect some treats from the bag the Bellsnickel clutched in his other hand. I'm just imagining being a small child in southern Germany and having some dude bust down the door and start interrogating you. Yeah, just just imagine it's it's like and since he's described as just like a disheveled old man, it's it's literally just like dad went outside and rolled around in the dirt and put on some rags and came back in with a bundle of sticks and was just and just kicked in the door and was just like, "Have you been good? Have you been good?" Krakow, have you been good? Yes. Don't lie to me, boy. No. All right. Sorry. Go on. The thing that sticks out to me the most in in this is that the treats he carries is small cakes, candies, which I can understand, and nuts. Back in the day, nuts were a treat. Fair enough. But it it just sounds kind of funny to me just being like, you've been good. Here's a handful of peanuts. Well, it was probably not peanuts, but yeah. You know, it was like those like containers of the fancy nuts. It could have been it could have been candied nuts, too. Like honey roasted. Yeah. Hey, some people really love straight up roasted peanuts, dude. This is true. Uh, My mind just immediately went to just like straight up roasted peanuts. But I mentioned that uh, the Bellsnickel was made made an appearance or was mentioned in the office. Actually, the character uh, Dwight Schrute dressed as the Bellsnickel and made an appearance in uh, the office episode nine of season nine. Uh, it was the it was titled Dwight Christmas, which first aired in 2012. Uh, he included uh, D- Dwight included the Bellsnickel in a Pennsylvania Dutch themed Christmas party he planned, but never pulled off for the office. I, I kind of face palmed at this this next part that Ranger included in here because um, this it, I'm gonna this is to quote exactly how he put it in here. This next one takes us from the Alpine forest of Germany into the mist Erius. I combined two words to make a pun about the weather. Shores of Wales. (laughs) (laughs) He's such a cooper. I love Ranger. This is where it gets interesting with the names, as if it hasn't already gotten interesting with me trying to pronounce simple words. But this one is... Krampus is one of my favorites, and then this one is another one of my favorites. It's the Mary Lewid. It consists of a horse skull that is decorated with ribbons and affixed to a pole. The back of the skull is attached; it has a white sheet attached to it, which drapes down to conceal the pole and the person carrying this. So it's basically a giant ghost horse puppet thing. It's the best way I can describe that. Because that makes me think of the winter holidays. Yes. But the horse's head was not always represented by a skull, but instead sometimes it was made from wood or even paper. 
In some instances, the horse's jaw was able to open and close by using a string or a lever that was attached to it. And they would sometimes put pieces of glass into the eyes so it would actually look like it had eyes. So, uh, Ranger, I hope you're listening because I did a lot of research to learn how to pronounce this name. You thought you were being smart throwing this in here thinking I couldn't do it. But an observer of the tradition as it was performed at Langenwood. This was during the 19th century. I also want to point out that he put in um, parentheses here, good luck, Krakow. So how is it said again? Lang- Langenwood? Langenwood. Langenwood. Pretty much, yeah. This was during the 19th century that they did this. It was noted that in preparation for the activity, it was a communal event with many locals involving themselves in the decorating of the Mary Lewid. The custom was performed during winter festivities, specifically around the dates of Christmas and New Year. However, the precise date on which the custom was performed varied between villages, and in a number of cases, the custom was carried out for several consecutive nights. And there is a unique example provided by an account from Gower, in which the head was kept buried throughout the year, only to be dug up for use during the Christmas season. And before we get into the specifics of this custom, I just want to say this sounds like something I would have made up. Oh, no. It, it is it is just nothing but chaos. More so than the, the Krampus parades? Oh, yes. It used to begin at dusk and often lasted late into the night. The Mary Lewid party consisted of four to seven men who often had colored ribbons and rosettes attached to their clothes and sometimes wore a broad sash around their waist. There was usually a smartly dressed leader who carried a staff, a stick, or a whip, and sometimes other stock characters such as the Merryman, who played music, and Punch and Judy, both played by men, with blackened faces, often brightly dressed, and Punch carried a long metal fire iron, and Judy had a besom, which I had to look that up, but that's just another word for a broom. Okay. I don't I don't know why we need another word for a broom, but I don't know if that's like the Welsh word for a broom or maybe. I don't know. A broom. But this party would approach a house and they would sing a song in which they requested admittance. The inhabitants of the house would then offer offer excuses for why the team could not enter. The party would sing a second verse and then the debate would begin between the two sides. This one I wasn't sure how to pronounce. This was known as the Ponco? It's just P-W-N-C-O. That that was close enough to me. Basically, this this group shows up to your house and you have to have a rap battle with them. Wouldn't you? Like, don't doesn't that make you feel festive? Sure. Having a rap battle with a skeletal horse and some oddly dressed people. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. But that word, the ponco, I'm, I'm unsure. It's, it's a form of musical battle similar to flighting. Uh, it, this would continue until the inhabitants of the house ran out of ideas. At that point, they're obliged to allow this party to enter the home and provide them with ale and food. An account from Nantgar described such a performance in which the Punch and Judy characters would cause a noise with Punch tapping the ground to the rhythm of the music and rapping on the door with a poker. While Judy brushed the ground, house walls, and windows with the broom, the householders had to make Punch promise that he would not touch their fireplace before he entered the building. Otherwise, it was the local custom that before he left, he would rake out the fire with his poker. What? Uh-huh. I don't know what any of this has to do with, with anything, but I mean... It sounds like fun. The short version describing this that I've always heard is the skeletal horse shows up at your door and you have to have a rap battle with it. And if you lose, it gets to come inside and steal all your food and alcohol. Well, okay. I want to know why you think this is a rap battle. Because they they just sing a song. It doesn't have to be. 
it doesn't have to be rap. No, but they, they sing a song. They sing one line of a song. You have to continue the song with an argument. So, I mean, it's just like kind of similar. I know it's not quite the same, but close enough. <laughs> I just I just imagine them with like a, a turntable and a microphone. Yes. <laughs> Let me in so I can have your alcohol. But um, and, and I don't understand whenever it said the local custom was that he would rake out the fire with his poker. I hope that means like he just puts the fire out by like poking it until he like basically puts out the fire. I hope it doesn't mean. I would hope it doesn't mean like what my brain immediately went to was like the fire's lit. He just starts dragging out the, the burning logs out of the fireplace just into the no, floor. Because like when you think about when they would rake the coals and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's probably something like that. Most likely because that's like the, the safest method. And it, and it still makes sense because I don't think we want to go around burning people's house houses down. That's typically not in the Christmas spirit. In the case from Flanginwood, however, there was no interplay between the householders and the troop, but rather the latter were typically granted entry automatically after singing the first verse of their song. I like the idea of having to come up with excuses until you run out of excuses, rather than just, we sang one verse of a song, let us in. Yeah. Also, they I'm assuming they go around the whole neighborhood, right? So does that mean they're just like completely tanked by the end? Oh, yeah, they're, they're lit. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like, it gets even better or worse, should I say. Oh, no. Not only, like, I described what the rest of the group does, but let me explain what the Mary Lewid does, the, the ghost horse. Once inside, the entertainment continued with this ghost horse running around, neighing and snapping its jaws and creating havoc, frightening children and perhaps even adults, while the leader pretended to try and restrain it. The merriman continued playing music and entertained the householders. So you've got this in a, in a horse costume just running around snapping this makeshift horse skull at the kids and making horse noises. <laughs> I just, I'm trying to imagine this in like a small little cabin. Because like it's it wouldn't be a huge house or whatever. So like in my living room, having all of these guys, one dressed as an insane horse, one is, you know, poking your fireplace. One has a broom. One is trying to control the insane horse person while the other one's just like playing the guitar and all of them are drunk. <laughs> this just this just sounds like a typical D&D party. Oh, my God. It is. Oh, my God. Uh, that's what that is. Yes. But that's the, the wonderful Welsh tradition. Somehow... It gets a little bit, a little bit more stranger as we go as we go along. I, I don't, I didn't think it was possible, but boy, is it. Okay. So the next one, we're going to Iceland. Okay. And we're going to talk about the Yule Lads. So imagine you're a young Icelandic child from the 1800s, while kids from other areas are looking forward to Father Christmas coming to town. Icelandic kids expected visits from the band of bearded wild men known as the Yule Lads. <laughs> oh boy, it gets better. Every year, beginning on December 12th, the, the 13 mountain men would descend from their mountain homes. They come down singly, one each night, until Christmas Eve. So that means 13 full days of fear-driven good behavior. Is that... Isn't there like a 13 days of... No. 
12 days of Christmas. It's usually like 12 days of Christmas. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. So <laughs> these lads are said to be the sons of the child-eating trolls, Grilla and Lepaludi. Let that one sink in for a moment. And I don't know if you've thought about this yet, but um, Ranger describes them like large, slightly unsettling versions of Snow White Seven Dwarves. <laughs> no, and he's not—he's not wrong because each lad has his own quirks and his own silly name. And I—and I'm not making fun of any traditions here, but I swear this just sounds like something that was made up. I'm just like, there's—there's there's no way this was real. I mean, most traditions are most stories and legends and I, I, I know but it's just let, let's let's go on to the names and, and the quirks here first of all we have sheep coat Claude it's a good name he tries to suckle ewes in the farmer's sheep sheds different what what that means exactly I, I don't know and I don't I don't really know if I want to know yeah I don't think you want to know next we have gully gawk he steals foam from buckets of cow milk just the foam just the foam then we have stubby He's short and steals food from frying pans. Only frying pans. Only frying pans. Okay. This one, I'm going to just tell you his name and see if you can guess what his quirk is. Spoon liquor. Hmm. I don't know. Believe it or not, he licks spoons. <gasps> say it ain't so. Then we have pot scraper, also known as pot liquor. Does he lick pots? Yes, he steals unwashed pots and licks them clean. I mean, at least he... If he gives them back, then you get a clean pot, I guess. I mean, if he licked it clean, do you do you really think it's clean? Yeah, there's no food in there, but is it clean? I mean, it's a lot easier to wash now. You don't have to scrub it. So this one needs a little bit of explanation first. Uh, apparently, back in the old days, uh, Icelanders used to sometimes store bowls of food under their bed. Not 100% sure why. I don't know if it was for midnight snacking reasons or for other reasons, but apparently that's that was a thing. And therefore, we have bowl liquor. He steals the bowls of food from under the bed. But does he lick them? I, I think he just takes the food. Then why is he bowl liquor if he, he doesn't lick the bowl? Well, maybe he does. Maybe, maybe he licks the bowls clean. Well, see, the other one was pot scraper or pot liquor. He only gets the pots. This guy gets the bowls. Yeah, so you got the one guy that steals the frying pans. You got one guy that goes after the pots. And then you got the guy who goes after the bowls. And the guy that goes after the spoons. And the guy that goes after the spoons. But wait, there's more. Of course there are. Then we have Door Slammer. He stomps around and slams doors, keeping everyone awake. Is this what their parents named them? Or are these like their nicknames? Supposedly, according to the legend, these are their names. Then we have Skier Gobbler. He eats up all the Icelandic yogurt, which is called skier. I've never had Icelandic yogurt, but I am quite a fan of regular yogurt. This next one, I, I feel like this might, we, we might can just chalk this one up to, it was the cat. Because um, his name is Sausage Swiper, and he loves stolen sausages. Does he love to steal sausages? Or are stolen sausages his favorite type? It just says he loves stolen sausages. Maybe he doesn't do the stealing. He just, he can tell that they're stolen. Maybe bowl liquor. Is like, hey, one of these bowls had some sausages in it. If you want, I will steal them. You can have the sausages, but I still get to lick the bowl. The next one is a straight up just a burglar because his, his name is Window Peeper and he likes to creep outside windows and sometimes steal the stuff he sees inside. And then on to the last three of, of the children here. We have Door Sniffer. 
Apparently he has a huge nose and an insatiable appetite for stolen baked goods. Is he like, ha ha ha, my name is Door Sniffer, but I do not sniff doors. That's what I was thinking too, because it just says he has a huge nose and he likes stolen baked goods. I didn't necessarily say he just goes around sniffing the doors, but I mean, unless it's just implied. But Meat Hook likes to snatch up any meat left out. His favorite is smoked lamb. And then Candle Beggar likes to steal candles, which used to be sought after items in Iceland. I know candles just in general back in the day were a very sought after item um, and very at times difficult to get your hands on or expensive. Yeah, because that was like the light source. That's that's your heat and your light source. So and and I think it's interesting because this one, most people typically hang stockings up around Christmas in Iceland. They leave their shoes on the window. Yeah, but I I haven't quite heard of what you get if you're bad from the Yule Lads. Um, if you've been good, your shoes get filled with candy and toys. If you're bad, you get a raw potato. I mean, honestly, I would be like, hey, candy and toys. Or I would be like, awesome, I got a potato. Yeah, I was going to say, potatoes are amazing. Exactly. Well, why is that a bad thing? You can make french fries with that. You can make many things with that. Because now I just really want potatoes of some sort. Who doesn't want potatoes? Fair. But uh, the children also, uh, leading up to the time when the Yule lads come to visit, they need to do their research because they're supposed to leave specific treats for each lad corresponding to their personality. Sheepcoat Claude gets milk. Spoon Liquor prefers spoons covered with batter. However, like alluded to previously, these guys were bad news before they became a little more friendly and it was just like, hey, we'll leave them out something and then they'll give us something in return. The Yule Lads were rather mean guys who would steal the Christmas food. They would be hanging by your window or sniffing around when you're cooking smoked lamb. And instead of kindly requesting a glass of milk, Sheepcoat Claude would steal it from the sheep, possibly leaving the family without nourishment. And Candle Beggar would eat the tallow candles, leaving the family without light or warmth in the endless Icelandic winters. So they're just swell guys. Yeah, they're, they're just really nice. 10 out of 10 would invite over for dinner. So, so basically the legend was just parents in Iceland would tell their kids, better not misbehave or you'll starve and freeze. I mean, that would that would make me behave. Yeah, exactly. And then I guess they thought they needed to be a little bit more nicer about it. And we're like, you won't get any candy or toys. Instead, you'll get a potato. <laughs> and also... Now we're going to get into your favorite, what is possibly going to be your favorite. They had a companion that would come with them. They would prowl the countryside during the winter. This is the Yule Cat. So cats and Christmas seem like a couple perpetually entangled in a love-hate relationship. I'm sure you know that all too well. There's a reason we usually don't have a Christmas tree up. And I seem to recall you saying the the paper ones that like you just stick to the wall don't work either. Nope. I even tried one year just decorating the banister that goes uh, you know on the stairs up upstairs, and uh, that didn't work either. Um, I tried a mini Christmas tree. I t- <laughs> I pretty much tried everything except the one where you hang it from the ceiling. That would go just as bad, if not worse. Yes, because then they would probably jump up, cling to it, and then pull down my ceiling. Especially if Bubba, for some reason, decided to jump and grab onto the tree. But um, on one hand, there's almost nothing more adorable than having a cat like Cozley, either on your lap or next to the hearth, with a brightly lit Christmas tree standing by. But on the other hand, as we as you just mentioned... Cats just can't stay cool and aloof when a tree suddenly appears in the house. They also really love wrapping paper. 
and unwrapping presents. Because who doesn't love, you know, brightly colored, crinkly paper? I know what to get you. Just a ball of wrapping paper. But at least your cats are not like this cat, because in terms of destructive powers, this one cat possibly tops all of his feline kin. This one, he's, he's a chonky boy. This is none other than Yola Koturin, the Yule Cat of Iceland. According to legends, the Yule Cat is a monstrously huge black cat that only appears at Christmas Eve when little children are sound asleep. They're, while they're dreaming of the glitter of the Christmas tree and what gifts lie under it, unfortunately, if there are no, no colorful new clothes among these gifts... These innocent little children, instead of feasting on the Christmas banquet the next day, will instead become feasted on by the Yule Cat. So the, I had actually, the thing that I had heard before is that um, the Yule Cat eats you if you don't appreciate the clothes you got for Christmas. But if you don't get clothes for Christmas and eats you, that's terrifying. It, it, no, not just, not just if you don't get clothes, if there's no colorful new clothes. They have to be colorful, too. They can't just be new clothes. They got to be colorful. Which is funny because uh, scientists think that cats and dogs are pretty much colorblind. I mean, that sounds about accurate, but, you know. But actually, that that your version of the story that you just uh, you just said is not actually in here. Actually, the other version is that the cat doesn't eat people, only their food and presents, which honestly is still very much like a cat. Is uh. I bet you can't even count how many times you've had to yell, stop eating plastic. Um, yes, that's a daily thing. And I can't tell you how many times stuff has been left unattended. Uh, I One time I had to wash Biggs's entire head because he shoved it in a thing of macaroni and cheese. He macked the cheese too hard. <laughs> Yes, but this uh, this Yule cat is associated with a special group of supernatural beings. The central figure is Grilla, which uh, Ranger didn't cover here, who may be understood as a dark and twisted version of Santa Claus. In post medieval Icelandic folklore, Grilla is a terrifying troll woman who mothered the 13 Yule lads. And she comes from her mountainous abode each Christmas Eve and with the Yule cat stealing down the mountain beside her devours naughty children. She sounds like a nice lady. Yeah, 10 out of 10, very, very nice. Mm -hmm. Even even has a pet cat and everything, you know. But the uh, unfortunately, the origin of Grilla is almost obscure as the Yule cats is, but it's apparently rooted in the Middle Ages and even older than that. But as as previously stated, the Yule Lads have been made nicer throughout the years, but this doesn't seem true about the Yule Cat. Apparently, Yule Cat still kind of likes to eat people and do its own thing. I mean, you can't change a cat. No, cat, cats will be cats. But that is all of the winter cryptids that we have for today's Cracko Tale. Well, I will say thank you, Cracko. Thank you, Ranger. Thank you, to the old world that gave us these stories. I, yeah, I do. I do love the Yule Cat. I think that one's amazing. Um, <laughs> but there. I'd kind of forgotten about the Yule Cat for a while until this was brought up. So. Uh, well, yeah, but all of these are fun. Yeah, all of them are. Yeah. There's a, some new ones that I haven't heard of and then some that I'm familiar with. As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. 
And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Krakow, you ready? Goodbye.